Tonight's reading is from Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27, starting at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Um, it's really good to see you here this evening. Absolutely fantastic to see some new faces as well. Although I can't see your faces, so I assume they're new under the masks. I just, I'm good at telling what eyes, kind of new eyes. Um, um, people are smiling, I think, or, or not smiling. I'm not quite sure at the minute. Speaking to you is like talking to, in this job, I get to do school assemblies. And I went to one of the larger Belfast male-only grammar schools, which is kind of in the city centre. Some of you might know that one day. And talking to about four million people in front of me, they were completely deadpan and all hard and all that kind of thing. So it's a wee bit like that experience again. But it's really, really good to be here. We're in Romans, and we're spending a lot of time in Romans from today, really, onwards, right through to the end of April, beginning of May, as we look at this incredible first century letter written by a man called Paul, a man who hated Jesus, and he hated Jesus so much that he wanted to eradicate any kind of strain or mention of Jesus in his world. He opposed Jesus. Then he met Jesus, the risen Jesus, and he was commissioned by Jesus, after having been converted by Jesus, to turn and follow him away from his sin, to reach the world. Commissioned by Jesus to reach the world with the message of Jesus, to reach people like us. You and I, if you're a Christian here this evening, you're a beneficiary of that message. So this is an incredible letter because it's all about that message and all about that message of Jesus getting to the ends of the earth. What a brilliant place to be over the next number of months. The way this is going to work is if you're a member of a growth group, you should have one of these books. If you're not a member of a growth group and would like to join a growth group, please speak to me or to Peter afterwards, Peter Sands afterwards, and we'll try and get you fitted in. There's still some space left. Every group meets on a Wednesday evening. There's one exception. There's one group, a small group, that meets on a Thursday evening to allow the spouses of those who attend, the spouses of those who attend on a Wednesday evening to go on the Thursday evening so that they can be part of a group as well. But Wednesday evenings, growth groups, um, if you'd like to be part of one, please let us know. You'll have a book like, like, like this. The way this works is we talk about the Bible passage that we're going to study on the Wednesday night on the Sunday night. So this Sunday night, we're looking at Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. And there's space in here for you to make your own notes. And then on Wednesday evening, you'll have a, another look at that passage and try to get out of that passage what wasn't covered and to try and understand it or maybe ask further questions of it. So um, that's how the growth group functions. Functions, and then it's an opportunity to pray for and support one another. Um, it's not that scary, really. It's a, it's a great opportunity to get dug into the life of this church family, and we'd love to encourage you, if you're not signed up, to sign up. So that's the booklet. Anyway, why don't I pray as we begin? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you love us, that you love us so much that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to become Lord. 
Father, we pray that we would hear about Jesus this evening, that we would understand what is in this letter, that you would build us up and please teach us, and Lord, that we may know and serve Jesus until we meet him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is Christianity all about? I, I don't know what your background is. There's a lot of new people in the building this evening. What do you think about Christianity? Maybe you've come here this evening because you've been dragged along, you've been brought along, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't really know what I'm coming to or what this is about, what church is about, what Christianity is about. For some people, Christianity is just really about charity. You know, we want a better society, so be charitable one to the other. Love your enemies, love your neighbors. Those are some of the sayings of Jesus. Maybe it's about a code, charity, code, a way to live, a pattern for life, a purpose in life. Maybe it's to do with kind of chemistry, that taking an interest in Christianity, taking an interest in Jesus will change you somehow. Well, what is it about? What is it about? 2,000 years worth of Christianity, and there's so many different versions, so many different churches, so many ideas. What on earth is this thing all about? That's a brilliant question to ask at this start of the year and as you come here perhaps for the first time. Maybe you've been coming here a long time and you're wondering to yourself, well, what is Christianity all about? I've sat and listened to talks. I've gone to youth groups. I've gone to what is Christianity all about? Pour it all away, strip it all away, strip it right back. What is it all about? Well, the book of Romans will help you grasp just exactly what it is about. Sorry, I've said that wrong. The book of Romans will help you understand who Christianity is all about. Would it be really boring and uninteresting if you came here this evening and I gave you a set of rules. I handed out a set of rules. Live like this and you will be fulfilled, happy, interested, not frightened anymore. This, follow this certain pathway. Well, what's going to be offered to you is a person, a person who really lived, a person who died, really died, and who is alive today. That's the claim. That's what we're saying. That's what this book of Romans is saying. That there's a man right at the heart of the universe. Who is at the heart of your universe? Is it you? Is it the one with whom you are having a relationship, your partner, your girlfriend, boyfriend, your career even? Who is at the heart of your universe? Well, at the heart of the universe is a man called Jesus Christ. At the heart of history is a man called Jesus Christ. That's who we're looking at tonight. And the way we're going to get into it is we're going to go to the very end of the book. These three short verses. And believe you me that if you aren't going to kind of come back again, well, in these verses, you will hear all really that Paul is wanting to say. And in fact, these last three verses mirror the first seven verses of this letter. It's written roughly around the mid-50s AD. So Jesus was born in not AD, and then was crucified and died in 33 AD. And this was written, Paul was converted in 33 AD. And then this was 
was written around mid-50s AD, and it's written to a group of Christians in a city we all have heard of in Italy called Rome, uh, uh, to a church, uh, to a church that had a mixed group of people in it, those who are from a Jewish background, those who are from a Gentile background, those who are Jewish like Paul and who came to know Jesus, and those Gentiles for whom Paul will say the message of Jesus is directed for. The purpose of the message of Jesus, he will say throughout this book, is it's for the Gentiles as well as the Jews. So it's for you and me, every nation in the world, everywhere in the world, every person in the world. This is a universal message. Regardless of your academic background, your social background, what job you do, this is our message for you because Jesus is a person for you. So the verses are going to be up on the screen. In fact, they are up on the screen. Thank you very much. And these are the last three verses of this letter, which mirror the first three verses. Now, I don't know whether you've got a Bible with you. If you have a physical Bible, a physical copy of the Bible with you, that'll be fantastic. If you've got your phone, you can look it up. Otherwise, just listen. We're in the last three verses of Romans chapter 16. And Paul concludes this letter as he does on occasion throughout some of the other letters. He'll just, he'll talk about Jesus. He loves Jesus. absolutely loves Jesus. He's completely devoted to this Savior, to this Lord. He's completely devoted. And occasionally, he'll break out into praise towards Jesus, towards God. And that is what has happened here at the very end of Romans. There are other parts in Romans where he does this kind of thing. He's talking about God, and he becomes so overwhelmed that the only thing that he can do is say, praise you, God. Thank you, God. And we get two for the price of one. Because there's this praise section in verses 25 to 27, and also there's a summary element to it as well. Because these three verses summarize what has been going on in the rest of the letter. So that's why we're having a look at these tonight. So you'll see them there on the screen, and verse 25 is where we begin. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. He's overwhelmed isn't he? The content of who Jesus Christ is and the message of Jesus has overwhelmed him so much that he burst out into praise. And those who receive the letter, those who are reading this, are directed towards God, directed towards the one who is at the center of the universe and who had become at the center of their universe. They were in Rome. Who ruled Rome? Caesar, fairly brutally. Caesar was at the center of Rome, at the center of Roman life, at the center of Roman culture. He was the one who should have been receiving all of this praise. But no, instead, it's God, Jesus Christ. So what's in here? Well, verse 25 is really interesting, and our translations might cloak this just a little bit. I don't know what translation of the Bible you're using. This is the NIV, the New International Version. Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel 
and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known. What do we have here? Well, we have that God's message, God's gospel is able, you see that? To establish you by my gospel. What does the word establish mean? There's a coffee shop in town, might have got his idea from there, called Established. There are other coffee shops available, just to say that. What is Paul getting at here in this verse 25 as he draws his attention, he draws this incredible letter to a close? Well, it mirrors chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Come with me to chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, if you would do that in your Bibles. Let me read from verse 1. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to be looking at that bit in much more detail next week, but that is the content of what we need to know about Jesus. But flick your eye over to verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. It is the power of God. Do you want to know what God's power is? Well, it's in this message. You want to know who or in whom the power is to be found? It's to be found in Jesus. To do what? Well, to save, to rescue, to save from hell, to save eternally, to be included and brought into the kingdom of God. Now, the same idea which you find in chapter 1, you find in chapter 16. Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden from long ages past, God is able. The same word is here that we find in chapter 1, verse 16, that God is able to save. The power of God is located here. In chapter 16, verse 25, God is able. He's able to save, chapter 1. He's able to save. It's his power. He's able to do this. And he's able to establish his message is so sufficient, his message is so powerful, his message is so incredible that it's able to keep those who believe it. Uh, this should reassure you. Uh, one of the highlight points of the book of Romans is that we're in an utter mess. The early chapters, chapters 1, 2, and 3, if you're having a look at it whenever you kind of get into growth groups, you realize the absolute devastation and havoc that human nature has wreaked 
the, the mess that our society and world and individual lives are, how you think of the difficulty with people that you might have. Think of wars and think of natural disasters. Think of the very simple things like gossip and hating one another. Where does all that come from? Well, it comes from the fact that we've exchanged the truth about God, the obvious truth about God, for a lie. We've, instead of serving and believing Him, we've served the things that God has made, and we believe the lie that we're God, not God. We're in an absolute mess. We're in an absolute plight. And the Bible is really, really clear about that. This is not just because I've had a bad night's sleep which I didn't actually, a bad night's sleep, and I thought I'm in a bad mood, so I'm going to shout at everyone. That's not why I'm saying this. It is that chapter 1, 2, and 3 outline just what a mess we're in. And so it sounds completely hopeless. Sounds impossible. Sounds impossible for anyone to be rescued and secure. What does Paul say at the very end of chapter 16? God is able He has the power, the power being the message, to establish, not ourselves establish, by ourselves, in and of ourselves, but that God Himself is able to keep those who believe this message. To him who is able to establish by my gospel, this is the message that Paul is proclaiming to the known world. This is the message about which he has no shame, and he is willing to declare it to the most intellectual and to the most non-intellectual, to the most cultured and to the barbarian. He's willing to share it everywhere. In fact, he's obligated. I am bound to share this. I have to to Jew, but to Gentile. Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, the message that he is proclaiming, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long. We've got two revelations, don't we? According to the revelation of the mystery, the word mystery is a religious term and would have been a religious term by the people in Rome who would have been kind of engaged in thinking about the temples and the religious aspect of life. They weren't entirely atheistic. There would have been a, a, a lot of religions and a, a lot of kind of interest in the other. And the word mystery would have circled around the Greco-Roman world quite extensively. So it was one of those religious words. But the way Paul uses it here isn't the way that that kind of mystery, religious kind of mystery, it's all a mystery. We don't know. We don't know. It's entirely the opposite with Paul, isn't it? The word mystery that that we kind of, you know, how we use it is either something is entirely unknown, unknowable, or unclear. It's a mystery, and I can't quite see just exactly what's going on. Maybe a conversation or some kind of thing that a lecturer in a particular subject has shared, and you you come out of it and say, that whole thing's just a mystery. It's unclear to me. That's not what we mean by mystery. That's not what Paul means by mystery. In fact, what Paul means by mystery 
is that there was something that was unclear, unhidden, in a kind of shadow fog thing, but has now been entirely revealed. That without a shadow of doubt, you can know. You can know who God is. See, verse 26, now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. Well, what's going on here? What is he saying here? Well, it is it's something that had been unclear, had been mysteriously mystery, is now absolutely clear, without and beyond a shadow of doubt. And it had been revealed even before Jesus. One of the big accusations that those who opposed Paul, one of the accusations that they made against him was that he makes all this stuff, has made this stuff up, has made this stuff up about Jesus Christ. Well, Paul is very, very careful to say, no, no, it was all there in your Bibles, all there about Jesus. Every detail was there. But it was a mystery. It was something hidden, but has now been revealed. It was something preempted, but has now been completely revealed beyond a shadow of doubt. The thing that had been hidden the one who had been hidden is now completely revealed in this message. And what do we know about the one? Well, we know that he is the Messiah. He is the rescuer. He's God's anointed one. He's God's appointed one. You see this? And the proclamation of Jesus Christ, verse 25, you can see it up there. Now, to him who is able to establish, that means keep you by my gospel, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Christ. Christ, by the way, isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. Jesus is the Christ, the rescuer, the anointed one, the appointed one by God to be God's ruler eternal ruler. That's who we're dealing with. So, you can't kind of hide behind ignorance any longer, can you? Because Jesus has been revealed. And he was revealed in the prophetic writings, all of which speak about Jesus. And now he's been revealed. The curtain's completely pulled back so that he's known. What do you think of Jesus this evening? Everyone has an opinion on Jesus, mostly. Mostly everyone has heard of Jesus. A a fine teacher, a bit of a miracle worker, magician, someone who lived a really decent life, kind of the loving type, the sacrificial type, the kind type. Everyone has an opinion of Jesus, but you'll see that those opinions are completely short of who Jesus really is. Jesus really is God. This man is God. That if you brushed by him in the supermarket, you were brushing by God. If you happened to attend the same primary school as him or the same lectures as him, you would have been sitting at the same table as him 
You're sitting beside God, this man. His words proved it. His actions proved it. He comes and declares, repent and believe that I am the Son of God, that I'm God's ruler, that I'm God's anointed one. The first part of Romans talks about just exactly how that worked. We'll be thinking about that next week. So Jesus Christ has been revealed. The mystery has been revealed. We now know who he is. Well, what are we to do with him? How are we to react to him? What are we to think of him? Well, believe it or not, that sort of thing is worked out for you in Romans. The true identity of Jesus and the true work of Jesus, why Jesus came into this world to die for our sins on the cross instead of us, us who deserve to be punished for our rebellion. Jesus goes to the cross instead of us. Chapter 3, the end part of chapter 3, speaks of that, just exactly what was going on the time that Jesus died. When you get to chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, you realize this is for you. If you have a look, verse 26, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. This is what Jesus commands, that every human being bows the knee to him. Now, can he say that legitimately? Well, he can because of who he is, because of the resurrection, because of his words, because of his crucifixion, all of those things which are outlined for us in Romans. He's able to command this, that all of the nations might believe and obey him. That if Jesus says, live like this, those who believe ought to live like this. That the implications of believing in Jesus has massive application to, to our lives in every aspect, every compartment of our lives. Jesus is the boss. Jesus is the ruler. He is the one who rules. So Jesus is no longer hidden no longer a mystery. There's no more guesswork as far as God is concerned. There's no more guesswork as far as eternity and reality is concerned. There's no more guesswork. You just have to go to Jesus, and you'll find out about Jesus. And finding out about Jesus, you'll find out about God. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. This entire letter is about this man. This entire letter is about this man's identity. This entire letter is about who and why he's come. This entire letter is about the mess that this world is in, that we find ourselves in. We, we find ourselves empty. We find ourselves broken. We find ourselves sad. We find ourselves confused. We find ourselves really messed up. But Jesus comes. We understand our mess, and Jesus comes to save us from the mess in which we find ourselves.
to rescue us eternally. Romans is an incredible book. I'm going to read some verses from just earlier on in the same chapter. Verse 17. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery that deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. One of the things that Romans will do for us is that it will keep us understanding and grasping who Jesus is. Now, is that under threat in your life? Might there be some people who are kind of undercutting Jesus and Jesus' identity and the reality of Jesus in your life? Are there some people who are doing that kind of thing? Well, they are a reality. Those kinds of people are a reality in a church, in a group of people, a group of Christians. There are those who bring division. There are those who put obstacles in your way, those who will say things or do things that will trip you up as far as Jesus is concerned. And these obstacles will be contrary to the teaching. You see that in verse 17. And put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. And the warning is from Paul is keep away from them. This is all pretty exclusive kind of stuff. It's a bit opposite to how our culture and society thinks and works. Our relativistic, pluralistic culture, where everything goes, not just any, everything goes. You can make up your own truth. You can make up your own, at least create and find your own compass. But what is fascinating, isn't it, that in Jesus, we have one who cuts right through everything. He exposes what's lies. He exposes the kind of stuff that will lead you away from God and towards hell. He exposes all of that. There are those who will try to trip you up. There are those who will throw curveballs at you and bring all sorts of doubts and questions and all those kinds of things to your mind. Well, who sorts that out? It's only Jesus. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. The, the book of Romans will help sort us out as to who Jesus really is. The book of Romans will help sort out what kind of attitude we should have towards Jesus. The book of Romans might even change you. The book of Romans will reveal and expose just how big God is. Maybe you've come here this evening and God is very small. COVID's bigger. Coronavirus has just taken over your world and you're living under coronavirus. You're living under COVID for fear. Well, what kind of God do we find in the book of Romans? What kind of God do we find in the entire Bible? 
not the small God of our imagination, but the big God who is even over coronavirus. The thing that had managed to, at, at its height, kind of lockdown height, keep basically three billion of the world's population behind doors. The true and the living God, Jesus Christ, is bigger even than that. This message is for all. It was hidden, but is now revealed. Jesus has come. So there's really no other option for Paul than to say, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Your life, what is it about? Your world, who is it about? Your truth, what is it? The direction of your life, which direction? The direction of your affections, your interests, which direction is it? Is it in things that will pass and fade and die and wither and rust and just go out of date? Is that where it's going? Is that its direction? Here is one who's worthy, who's worthy of our praise, who's worthy of our attention, who's worthy of our lives, who's worthy of your life this evening. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your background is, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. If you're here this evening and you're wondering what on earth is all this about, who on earth is Jesus? What does he tell humanity? Well, it's really, really simple. We're messed up. Our world is messed up. Our relationships are messed up. Our relationships with the environment in which we live, absolutely messed up. One with the other, absolutely messed up. But primarily, our relationship with God is entirely broken. We're not interested. We don't want anything to do with God. But God loves us. God loves you. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus Christ, the Savior. He sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross to take the punishment for our sin, for our rebellion, for our dislike of God. We who hate God, he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to take the punishment for that. And Jesus willingly absorbs it himself as he's hanging there on that cross crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is dying for our sin so that we could be made right with God. Paul expresses in another one of his letters this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This evening, this might be a really good time for you to say something to God. God, I know I've messed up. I know I've rebelled against you. I know I've taken the good things that you've made for me and instead of worshiping you and serving you, I've worshipped them and I've loved them and served them, paid attention to them, been afraid of them. Please forgive me. Thank you for dying instead of me, Lord Jesus.
and being raised again so that you rule my life. Please forgive me. Please make me new. Please be Lord of my life, Lord Jesus, for the rest of it. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen.